Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're featuring a preview of the ninth Art of the Real, our annual festival highlighting the world's most vital and innovative voices in nonfiction and hybrid filmmaking, with programmers Dennis Lim, Rachel Rakes, Dan Sullivan, and Almudena Escobar-Lopez. The preview will be followed by a Q&A with director Ava Hassan on her most recent film, Mothering Sunday. On a warm spring day in 1924, housemaid and foundling Jane Fairchild, played by Odessa Young, finds herself alone on Mother's Day. Her employers, Mr. and Mrs. Niven, Colin Firth and Olivia Coleman, are out and she has the rare chance to spend quality time with her secret lover. Paul, played by Josh O'Connor, is the boy from the manor house nearby. Jane's long-term love, despite the fact that he's engaged to be married to another woman, a childhood friend and daughter of his parents' friends. But events that neither can foresee will change the course of Jane's life forever. Mothering Sunday is now playing in theaters and streaming. The ninth Art of the Real is now taking place through April 7th. Get showtimes and tickets at filmlink.org AOTR. Hello, uh, I'm Dan Sullivan. I'm a programmer at Film at Lincoln Center. Uh, I'm joined today by uh, Film at Lincoln Center Director of Programming, Dennis Lim, uh, as well as Programmer at Large, uh, Rachel Rakes, and Art of the Real uh, Program Advisor, uh, Almudena uh, Escobar-Lopez. Uh, and we're going to be talking about um, the 2022 uh, edition of Art of the Real, which is beginning a uh, on March 31st, uh, running through April 7th. Um, this is the ninth edition of Art of the Real, uh, which is our survey of, sort of innovative envelope, envelope pushing, boundary pushing, uh, uh, experimental, and sometimes not experimental, uh, uh, nonfiction uh, cinema. So um, I was hoping uh, to begin by just uh, talking to you three a bit uh, about um, sort of the context for this year's edition. But before we do, I should note um, that uh, this year's Art of the Real will include uh, premieres for 14 uh, feature films, uh, as well as a, a handful of shorts uh, that are uh, paired with some of the features, as you'll see in the program notes. Uh, uh, but this year's festival will also include a, a retrospective sidebar uh, dedicated to the French filmmaker Alice Diop, um, uh, who will be joining us to talk about uh, about a few of her uh, films uh, to date. Um, uh, we can get a bit more into that uh, later, I suppose, but uh, maybe for now it'll suffice to say that um, that uh, Alice is one of uh, a few filmmakers in this year's uh, uh, Art of the Real who are uh, returning filmmakers whose work we've uh, featured either in uh, previous editions of Art of the Real or in some of our other festivals. Uh, in the case of Alice Diop, uh, new director's new films where her uh, film, her previous film, We, her new uh, premiered uh, a couple years ago. Um, but putting that aside for now, um, maybe we can get into uh, sort of the, how uh, this year's festival uh, sort of came about and maybe uh, maybe some reflections on kind of um, uh, what everyone was thinking and in putting together this year's lineup. Uh, obviously, this is like a very uh, uh, interesting uh, moment to be uh, putting together um, 
or trying to put together like a, uh, a, a documentary or nonfiction uh, uh, festival. We could begin by, uh, by uh, asking Dennis uh, a bit about, um, about how this year's uh, lineup kind of came together and maybe how, maybe how the process uh, sort of differed from, uh, from previous editions of Art of the Real or, um, or just kind of what the, uh, what ambient factors in all of our lives now maybe kind of informed um, the way you all uh, went about selecting the lineup. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Dan. Um, well, I guess it's different in that this is our this is our first full in theater edition in a few years. Um, we did have, you know, a twenty twenty lineup that we had to present online, and then in twenty twenty one, we did um, uh, a retrospective only art of the real um, at a different time of the year in the fall. Um, so yeah, this is I think the first time since the spring of 2019 that we've had um, a full week plus um, in cinemas with new films uh, and and older titles, which has always been the model uh, for Art of the Real since Rachel and I started it in 2014. In terms of the process of selection, I don't know that it, I would, I don't know that it was really any different. I mean, it's just a matter of like, you know, keeping tabs and watching films through the year as do both Rachel and Almudena. Um, and um, I'm not sure we really, I mean, I, speaking personally, at least, I don't really think so much about thematic connections or through lines to the program unless, uh, until I was, should say the final stages, but because looking at the lineup um, as it's, you know, as it was, as we were finalizing it a few weeks ago, it, it does seem like a really diverse, but also like coherent group of films to me. I'm, I'm pretty happy with, with how these films play alongside um, one another, uh, how they fit together and how they might speak to one another. But in terms of the process, you know, we're just excited to be back in, in cinemas as, as you know, um, and uh, to have also, I should say, um, many, many filmmakers uh, in attendance. Um, you know, people seem really eager to be uh, presenting their films, watching films with an audience, actually having like real life interactions, um, as we found with with our, our um, programs that have returned returned to cinemas. Uh, but yeah, I'll let I'll let um, Rachel and Almu jump in if they have thoughts on on overall context before we we start talking about the lineup. We were able to put together a, a tight selection uh, out of kind of the last almost two years. Uh, we had we had time to really kind of reflect and process on. What we felt like were um, were kind of were, were important representative uh, films to films to put together, given that we didn't have uh, this edition last year, and uh, not necessarily theme, but I guess in terms of form, something that that struck me as I was reflecting, and yeah, again, like Dennis said, it's kind of after the fact, more than more than in the process of selecting films, is um, a focus on the idea of of staging. Um, I was I was going back to we'll, we'll talk a bit about the films individually uh, in a moment, but I was going back to uh, Anochez's work "Come Here," and uh, this is where where, where staging has this uh, has has this big sort of presence narr narratively. It sort of makes the makes the sort of film function, and I was thinking how that also comes comes around in a film like "Camouflage" or an "Afterwater," where 
the, the elements of hybridity or the elements where they, they sort of merge away from just being a documentary happen in the act of staging. So I thought of that as kind of maybe an interesting, um, an interesting thing to sort of keep in mind uh, going through many of the films. To me, I was thinking there is a lot of films also after the fact because the process was the same for the three of us. Um, I think there is a lot of films that uh, are operating in, in a multiplicity of time and connecting different spaces. So they are very heterotopic in the way they are built. Um, and, and then there's this connection between um, multiplicity and individual stories, which it, it seems to be a, a, a trend, but I think this year more than ever, also the way we are acting between being together and being apart, I think it is even more um, present in the entire program. Just jumping off of what Amandela uh, was saying, I can kind of just transition from that into the opening night film. Um, as if we're talking about multiplicity, then Mistos Voces is kind of a nice way to begin. So our opening night film is Dina uh, Rodriguez's Mistos Voces, uh, My Two Voices, uh, which is a film shot in 16 millimeter um, that is a portrait of, of sort of, of migration, of three women in migration from uh, Mexico and Colombia to Canada. And what immediately struck, struck me about that work um, is the visual sense of this sort of, what would be maybe called abstraction, but in, 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 in these, the framing of like these intense sort of close-ups and gestures that very much reminded me of some more kind of avant-garde work from the seventies, especially say Chick Strand, but done with such an updated sense of an ethic and empathy, a kind of a sense of how to approach a subject and the kind of nuances of, um, of the people that, that Lena's working with and even her own voice as well. So just to uh, begin with that. I'll just jump in and say, Dan, you mentioned returning filmmakers and you know we've shown Lena's um, fiction films um, at, at Lincoln Center and this time tomorrow and, and Senorita's. And I think this is the first time we're showing a documentary of, of hers. And, um, I think that the effect of that film, you know, that just what what the film achieves through what um, the, the the formal strategies that Rachel described is, I think it's it's a really interesting like rethinking of of you know a type of documentary that we we might it's it's like a sort of a testimonial documentary, but I think done in a way that um, reinvents it. I think in a way that I find really really moving. Um, the uh, it's also you know one of several films shot on 16 millimeter, I should say that, that um, in the lineup. Um, so I think, uh, you know, medium specificity seems important to the filmmakers in, in, in this year's lineup. Um, uh, and I should also add one of three films from Canada, I think by three young uh, women filmmakers from Canada, uh, Miriam Charles and Jacqueline Mills who are showing their work, I think for, for the first time. Uh, as well. And they also both worked on 16 millimeter now that I'm thinking about it. Um, Miriam Charles with this house and Jacqueline Mills with geographies of solitude. Why don't we, uh, why don't we move on to, um, to uh, the, the longest film in this year's, uh, in this year's lineup, uh, The Plains, uh, David E. Steele's uh, uh, feature debut. Um, I think there's a fair amount of anticipation uh, from the the art of the real, the hardcore art of the real audience. Uh, <laughs> see this one. This is right in their wheelhouse. So, um, so yeah, uh, Dennis and Rachel, uh, do you want to? Could you tell us a bit about uh, about the planes and 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 I guess what people can expect uh, when they come to see it at the art of the real premiere? People can expect 
a lot of driving. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, <laughs> Rachel, you want to go? It's. I should say this. We are. I'm very excited. This is probably the first film we invited. If, even though it just premiered in Rotterdam, we saw it like last year, and and we're very excited about it. Uh, and invited it immediately. Um, the film. Uh, it's kind of hard to. I think it's kind of hard to explain why it's uh, why it works so well. It's a uh, it's a series of drives, a series of commutes. Um, uh, it unfolds almost entirely inside a car, um, fixed camera. Um, sometimes a solitary driver, sometimes with a companion. Uh, there are phone calls, um, and you know, to come back to what Rachel was saying earlier about staging and this is a film that is also very interesting to think about in 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 those terms um i don't really want to give too much away i mean you know david he's still the filmmaker is coming and i think we'll, we'll get an opportunity to talk to him and hear and hear from him about how this film came about and, and how he made it um but the effect of the film i mean it's just a series of i think 11 maybe 11 or 12 shots uh all in the car um over three hours uh it's it's riveting uh, and really moving, uh, and somehow becomes this incredible film about time uh, and mortality uh, and many many other things. Um, it's a you know, it's I think a radically simple film. Uh, I think it's also a film that does really interesting things with form and with structure. Um, and yeah, it's kind of a perfect film for 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 Art of the Real. Um, it's it's a film that thinks about you know. We've been careful not to call this a documentary or nonfiction festival from the start. I think what we are interested in is how cinema, all kinds of cinema, engage with the real, you know. And I think this film does that in really rich, uh, surprising, and profound ways. Yeah, I think it's it's rare to find a film like this that's so that's so structured that has this extent that does that is kind of more or less within nonfiction, but is also kind of what is also fun, you know, and chatty and just curious and sort of, yeah, just takes you along with it. Um, I made the joke, which I, which I think Dennis probably hates, which is that it's the nonfiction. I think it's nonfiction's uh, drive my car. <laughs> I think that's great. I think we need to use that. Yeah. Um, that's my, that's my tagline for it. And I think that works well, even as well as the length and the kind of, and the, the intimacy and then made, made at the same time. So that's what I'm going with. We'll uh, we'll have to tease out that connection more when David uh, <laughs> is in town. Um, but uh, I I I was hoping we could now uh, turn to to a film by one of our uh, one of the returning filmmakers, uh, Jonathan uh, Perel, um, uh, camo camouflage. Um, uh, maybe we can start with Almudena. Um, uh, do you want to would Would you like to tell us a, a bit about uh, about camouflage and maybe? Um, sort of uh sort of how it resonated with you uh, what you know what 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 made you enthusiastic about, about this one? well i think first of all uh this is the we saw we watched we shot the film um uh corporate accountability two years ago from jonathan um and this is different but also very 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 much connected because he's still working with questions of memory collective memory and how to deal with the dictatorship in Argentina that happened between 76 and 83. Um, 
but in this case, instead of using the voice off um, over this, this corporations that had this direct connection with the dictatorship, um, he is using a personal and direct account, but also fictional account. So he worked with Felix Bruzzone, which is a writer that wrote this uh, very important book about the um, Campo de Mayo area, the Campito area, which was this uh, massive uh, complex prison, secret prison complex where people were taken and disappeared during the dictatorship. And he's using him as a conduct to kind of like walk through the space. And I think it is, again, there is a mix between things that happened to him, his mom, uh, Felix's mom disappeared and during the dictatorship, but also different accounts of different people that lives in this area of San Miguel in Buenos Aires, where the, the Campo de Mayo was. And I think what is interesting about the film is not only using this conduct of this, this, this only character that he moves us through, but the moving through. And, and kind of walking through the spaces and, and, and kind of seeing how people reflect on the geography of the place. There's this run that they do uh, through um, every year and, and there's people taking selfies, you know, in such a tetric place and, and kind of thinking about how it reflects back and kind of posing it more as a question that kind of having any conclusion or, or any presentation and, and on, on how this memory operates, but just kind of let it play, which I think it is really, really unique and interesting. I'll, yeah, I'll just add that I think move, movement is, is so important in this in this film um, and also so surprising uh, coming from, you know, John, Johnny Perel. I mean, if you know his other films, like he makes these, um, as Amu was saying, like, you know, this film's about just the legacy of the military dictatorship, but um, he, he's generally made these very like formal structural films um, sort of you know, in the vein of... I know James Benning or Heinz Evick holds these like very, very composed, structured pieces. Um, he actually, when he sent the film to us, he said, this is a very different film. There are people and there's movement, you know, so like just to have human subjects uh, and to have um, this incredible sense of movement that is so, so much a part of the film's meaning. Um, I, I think it's a really interesting continuation of his project, but also a really, uh, really interesting and fun departure. We actually have fun films this year, um, I think, you know, in terms of like very, very uh, cinematic uh, experiences. Um, and uh, yeah, we're excited. We're excited that he's, he's coming, um, actually going to be able to be with us because when we showed corporate accountability, that was the year we moved um, the festival online. Uh, so he'll, he'll, be, he'll, he'll be in prison to present in New York. Um, maybe, maybe on the... Uh... On the subject of, of movement, um, we should uh, we should turn to uh, a film by another uh, returning filmmaker, uh, someone whose work we've shown in um, a few different contexts uh, over the years. Um, uh, the new new film by Nocha, so which Corn Pong um, uh, come here. Um, Rachel, uh, do you uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, about Come Here and 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 maybe uh, maybe about its uh, uh, the short film that we're we're screening with it, uh, Peter, the new uh, new film by Peter uh, Sharkovsky, um, training him. I initially, during this conversation, kind of was comparing "Come Here" to the film uh, we just discussed, "Camouflage," in that there's something happening where it's like it's it's taking place uh, in this moment of intense of like of, of intense fraught history um, in this case the uh, the infamous death railway uh, built in World War II by uh, by prisoners of war in Thailand um, but what in this case what happens sort of what takes place within this you know like, like within and around this context is all of these other things like a series of kind of actions and rehearsals a bit of romance 
there's a, these this element of this sort of mystery throughout. And so like, I, I kind of, I've come to loathe a bit the term hybrid film um, because it, you know, it was sort of maybe been overused or lost its meaning, but this kind of truly is in that it, in that it really does infuse. There is uh, founder, you know, pre-existing footage alongside the sense of kind of, uh, of just a set curious coming together of friends. Uh, there's like these moments of intentional kind of acting or screen tests. Uh, it's quite a, it's quite a curious work that deals with its, its history in this oblique way, which I think it helps to make it a little bit more kind of clear or seeable. And I think that's quite uh, also similar to a film like Camouflage, where it's like we, we're starting to realize how much not taking things so head on in in sort of documentary nonfiction film is like is actually a more um, a more interesting or maybe more uh, kind of uh, sen like sen sensible way to reach people with these with these ideas and things. I do think it's a great pairing, and I will give Rachel full credit for the uh, the train again. Come here. Uh, I, I love when uh, very different types of films play together, um, but that makes sense together. And I think that's the case with these two films. Um, and it's nice to be able to be showing a Peter Tchaikovsky film on thirty-five millimeter. And another another pairing. Um... Of a, of a short and a feature uh, in this year's lineup, it's, uh, particularly inspired, is uh, the pairing of uh, Charlene Bamboat's uh, If From Every Tongue It Drips and uh, Beatrice uh, Santiago Munoz's uh, The Crow, The Trench, and The Mare. Um, Almu, could you, uh, could you tell us a little bit about this, um, about this, this pairing and maybe, uh, maybe uh, like elucidate a little bit of what's like exciting about the this uh, juxtaposition of, of films yeah um i think again as i was saying at the beginning this is one of the examples of the sister heterotopic spaces that are mixing and combining different voices in the case of beatriz santiago muñoz el cuervo la llevo y la cosa that's the title in spanish um it is combining and looking at the the connection between all this caribbean spaces and thinking about place making in that way so it's connecting tahiti with uh, Puerto Rico and New Orleans, and using uh, this Sans uh, Sanskrit method of, uh, of poetry, where you can tell two stories at the same time in the same time, in the same space, sorry, and in the same story. And then if you look at Charlene's, it's also connecting uh, three different spaces, this Paticaloa and Sri Lanka, and then Montreal in Canada, and uh, in the Sky Island in Scotland, and, 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 and talking about questions of colonialism and, and queerness that way, right? But through the sound in this case, in Serbian's film, and, and also using poetry, in this case, Rakti poetry and music to kind of reflect on all these things. And also using language in both cases and how um, language is not a, a unidirectional way of, of translation, but how can you translate things that are present uh, through matter or through feelings? So it's also, an in that way, I think both films are very experiential, um, just kind of how they move through these spaces and also how they use different tools how do you think about a smell mixing with with uh, with with sound in the case of Beatriz, or how do you think about the sound that is coming from the Sky Island and is reflecting in Sri Lanka? And how can you how can you be in all these places at the same time? Which it seems pretty obvious when you think about colonialism, right? But I think Charlene does a really good job putting that together through the sound and the image. So I'm very very excited about this pairing. I think it's something that. Um, well, Rachel and I specifically, <laughs> Dennis, I hope you're also excited, but I think we were particularly really, really looking forward to it. And I think it would be a great, it's a great pair. 
And maybe just to um, to conclude our our conversation about the um, about the, the the whole slate of premieres um, at this year's are the real. We could um, sort of go. We can go around the horn, and if if there's any um, if there are any films we haven't discussed yet that you'd like to call out uh, uh, briefly, uh, sort sort of uh, to whet people's appetites or what have you. Um, uh, maybe we could start with Rachel. Um, uh, yeah, take it away. Yeah, as we were talking about the planes, um, and and I was saying that you know it's it's structural somehow it's structural but not boring. Um, it reminds me of, again of Hiranmo uh, Rodriguez's um, The Veteran, which Hiranmo uh, was with us in 2016, Art of the Real, with his uh, The Monument Hunter, and this work in some ways it feels like another kind of chapter in how he sort of visually makes these films. It's, it's uh, through these, um, these still images of landscapes with this voiceover um, that always mixes kind of uh, like test testimony with, with histories, with bits of fiction. And the whole thing for me paces, paces and sort of runs through like you're experiencing a novel. I find it extremely sort of stimulating, entertaining, and also like just really curious um, to, to find what he minds in all of these spaces and the way that he puts them together. Um, in this case, between primarily Chile and New York, uh, which was also quite similar to the way that he structured the previous. So it almost feels like he's conducting these, these sort of chapters in this, in, in this sort of long, longer body of work that I find really fascinating. What about you, Dennis? Anything? Um... Anything you we haven't talked about yet that you want to flag for everyone's attention? I don't know. I mean, I think this is a really, I mean, I think this is a really good lineup. I think we have, I think we have a really exciting group of films. I would just encourage people to to come to as much as they can, not least because we have a very good deal all access pass, especially if you're a student. But just the you know what's even occurring to me as as we're talking about these connections among the films that I think will are, are really exciting to think about. Um, Alma was talking about language. And I think we, we haven't talked about Lena's film, Lena Rodriguez's film in terms of language too. And I think that's really, you know, that's really something that she's working with um, in terms of how the voices are, are, are assembled in, in, in Mistos Voces. And, and also thinking that, you know, Miriam Charles's film, this house, which is a sort of this ghost story, a film about grief and mourning, is also a film about migration, and I think really pairs really nicely with with Lena Rodriguez's film in, in that regard. Um, I guess one other, you know, theme that it's so broad as to I don't know, if, as, I don't know if you want to even call it that. It's like, is this this presence of 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 nature in the films? This question of of bodies and nature. Um, I think Geographies of Solitude is a really interesting sort of rethinking of, of a portrait film and a landscape film at the same time. Um, and as we were, you know, slotting the films and, 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 and scheduling them, it occurred to me um, that two films by returning filmmakers, uh, Donna Komian, who we've shown in the New York Film Festival, uh, and George Jacom, who we've shown in the New York Film Festival and um, in um, New Directors. Um, their new films, After Water and Supernatural, are these really, I think, great pairings, uh, you know, a pair of films about bodies and nature, and that also are very sort of these immersive, dreamy uh, sort of viewing experiences. Um, Donna's film, After Water, is a film about limnology, 
the study of lakes and uh, George, George Jacob's film Supernatural is this very strange, trippy, glitchy, like meditation on the idea of the natural is kind of an essay film, you could say. Um, and yeah, I think we have them scheduled on back-to-back -back nights. So um, yeah, I'd urge people to just explore the connections among, you know, among, among the, among the films here, um, they, they, they're, they're not even, we're not even necessarily very apparent to us until now we're looking at the lineup and, and we're finding it that, that these are films that are interesting to, to, to think about together. Um, I feel like I should at least just quickly mention a couple of other films that we haven't, uh, you know, Beatrix's Austrian film, which is, I, I think a very original take on a portrait film, you could say. Uh, also, you know, uh, this, this, um, uh, Zheng Fan Yang's footnote is um, we've we definitely saw too many pandemic films uh, in the in, in the programming process. I think we anybody who's looking at new films tends to encounter a large number of films that were shot during lock, lockdown about lockdown. But I think this one does something uh, formally very interesting. Uh, another returning filmmaker, Eric Baudelaire. Um, you know this his new film when there is no more music to write. Um, reminiscent, I think, in in some ways. To me, of his collaborations with collaboration is such a big part of Eric's project. Um, like as with his Masawa Dachi films, I think here he's working with the composer and sound artist Alvin Curran, and again looking back at you know a period of radical politics and how that intersects with artistic practice uh, in a way that I find really really interesting. So yeah, I I don't know if I've covered everything, but <laughs> I'm trying to just uh, suggest the the breadth of 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 the lineup that we have here um, and uh, encourage people to, to come to us as much as we can. Again, many filmmakers will be will be here, their films. I, I can add on, on the note of um, sort of the way of traversal, the way that Eric's film is is traversing, kind of connecting these, he, he's always connecting, you know, one, a struggle in one place and a struggle in another, right? In this case, sort of Italy and the, and the US. Um, and so I wanted to highlight one other feature, which is a Marvel travelogue, uh, which, deals more with this, um, this, the element of Greek marble and kind of follows, follows its path. But in this, it's sort of a, there, there, are many, there are many sort of films about consumer objects and, you know, and how they come about and all, and all of the elements. But in this case, the way that it goes sort of back and forth, in this case, from, from Greece to where it's manufactured in China, back to Greece to be sold again to tourists or make perhaps are from China to bring back to China again as souvenirs from Greece. And um, he talks about this whole, this entire sort of political economy of this. And I think that's very, uh, these the senses of there's, there's a lot of films in the series that are very much in one place. And then there are, there, there are these senses of these films that are kind of everywhere at once. And I think that's a, that's a fun juxtaposition. I just wanted to add, um, because Dennis mentioned both Beatrix and also we mentioned Eric Baudelaire's film, Abrir Monte, which is one of the shorts that is for with Eric's uh, film. He kind of does both. <laughs> it is a portrait film, but it's also a portrait of a place and a geography. It is a film set in Colombia, in Santa Teresa, in this area, in Tolima. Um, where it's really taking this, this question of a collective memory of this 1929 revolution that just lasted one day, but she's using this, this fictional character, this woman Aura, to kind of walk through the entire thing. And also the nature itself is reflecting on the stories that haven't been told. It kind of works almost as a, as a, as a fictional realist space, both things together to kind of construct this, the stories that have been silenced. Um, so it's using again, a portrait and, and, and portrait and geography in a multiplicity to kind of tell the story of a place. So I think it ties together all this, all, all this, these things that we're talking about.
maybe uh, just to conclude, um, I want to talk a bit about um, the uh, retrospective sidebar at uh, at this year's Art of the Real, um, which is dedicated to the uh, French filmmaker Alice Diop. Um, uh, for you know, uh, for the past uh, I guess decade and a half, um, Alice Diop has uh, very uh, consistently been been uh, making uh, documentaries about uh, the Parisian uh, banlieue or the, the suburbs. Um, and uh, her work, uh, we've shown it before. Uh, we we premiered uh, We or New, her um, her most recent feature, uh, New Directors, New Films, uh, a couple of years ago, and. Um, that film is uh, going to be released in the United States uh, soon, but um, but she's going to be joining us uh, during Art of the Real to talk about that film, as well as uh, uh, two of her previous features, uh, The Death of Danton and On Call or La Permanence, um, as well as a as well as a mid length uh, film uh, called Towards Tenderness. Um, and I think uh, for people who aren't familiar with Alice's work. Uh, um, I think there's you'll find that there's a, there's uh, quite a bit there uh, to uh, to think about and and uh, and um, she it's really no surprise that I think her yeah her background is a uh, or she has a degree in visual sociology and I think uh, you you feel that quite strongly uh, in the work just with the level of precision um, that she applies to uh, to sort of um, uh, portraying. Uh, like people, the people who live in the Paris suburbs, uh, uh, she films them compassionately. She uh, she takes in sort of the entirety of their um, their sort of social circumstances and all the factors uh, that are kind of conspired against them. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, it's also a bit of a you know. A, her project sort of uh, hinges on, I think, um, trying to uh, uh, make visible uh, within the cinema people who otherwise um, there is there doesn't seem to be or there hasn't been room for uh, to date and to uh, uh, to sort of deal with them um, in a in a like a profoundly sort of humanist uh, dimensional uh, rich way and uh, to, so um, so yeah I hope. Uh, you know, I hope you'll you'll come and see some of her work. Um, again, she'll be she'll be on hand to uh, to talk about uh, on call, uh, which is uh, which is a sort of portrait of a uh, of a health clinic uh, for for refugees, um, uh, and it's it's both. Uh, sort of like uh, an ode to the to the sort of nobility of like the mission of such a thing but also about the inadequacy uh, uh, of it in the face of like the 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 sort of real needs of of uh, migrants and um and uh yeah so she'll be uh discussing that film as well as well as uh as well as uh, we which um I, I must say I prefer the French title. Uh, <laughs> uh, new, it always sounds funny saying we, but uh, and I, that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, Dennis, was there anything you wanted to add about Alice Diop? Um, not no. I think you. I think you 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 put that very nicely. Um, but yeah, we've had we've not had retrospectives every year for Art of the Real, but I think we, you know we've we've always given it quite a bit of thought as to, as to what, what to showcase within a relatively small program. I mean, 
in Alice's case, she didn't attend the audition of new directors where we showed, you know, new, which I think was sort of her break, breakthrough film in the sense that it won the prize at the Berlinale. Um, and we thought it would be nice to, to, to showcase a, you know, a young filmmaker um, with, with a, a small but very strong body of work. Um, we've done different types of, of retros that are the real. I mean, we, we've, we've done, you know, we, I think our first retro was, was devoted to Agnes Varda um, in, in 2015. Uh, and and in, in that case, we wanted to, to showcase an important, you know, a really important subset of her body of work um, that, that wasn't always talked about. And we've done, you know, spotlights on Toshio Matsumoto and Bruce Bailey to, to highlight the connection between, you know, nonfiction and experimental cinema. Um, and then we've had thematic programs like Counter Encounters and um, a focus on reenactment one year. And and um, and yeah, Alice seemed like the, you know like somebody we wanted to to call attention to. I think these are really impressive films. Um, uh, and yeah, I think you're right, Dan, that her her background um, you know um, as a researcher really comes across in in these films. Um, and I'm really excited that she can finally attend a screening of her film since we've, we've been presenting them in her absence. Uh, so she'll be with us um, over, over the, that um, first weekend uh, to show both her features. All right, so uh, we're gonna leave it there for now. Uh, again, the, uh, the dates for this year's edition of Art of the Real are March 31st to April 7th. Um, we'll all be there. We hope to see you there. Uh, consider buying the all access pass uh, it's, it's great value and you can find out, uh, more about that, uh, as, as well as, uh, you know, see all the film descriptions, the schedule and so on, on, uh, filmlink.org. That's F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org. And, uh, yeah, so we'll see you there. Thanks. Hi, I'm Clinton Crute. And I'm Devika Girish. We're the editors of Film Comment. The Film Comment Letter is a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com to get the letter every week. Support independent film journalism. Support Film Comment. Thank you so much. Thanks. Congratulations on the film, both of you, and thank you so much for being here. Ava, very few films capture in almost like a Venn diagram-like style, I feel like, in watching your film. The, the poetry and grace of watching memories pile up upon each other and become art and help a character become who she's supposed to be. In, uh, in adapting Graham Swift's beautiful novella to the, to the screen via Alice Birch's screenplay. I'm wondering what were some keys for you in making sure it was done the right way and kind of keeping the tone the way that you, uh, that you saw it? So what do you mean exactly? What is the question exactly? Uh, the, the, the question is, was there a key to you to making sure that the, that the tone of the novella and the, and the beauty of the, of, the, uh, of the one day becoming sort of the, the root of one character's life um, was there a challenge for you in that and making sure that it stayed kind of true to the vision you saw in it originally? Well, I mean, you know. 
<laughs> I I tried to not fuck up uh, in in during the casting process and like choose somebody who could actually carry the film and make you not yawn. Uh, I guess my biggest fear was to film just a pretty thing uh, because that would have been like the exact opposite direction that was required for the film. And um, I just realized, you know, when I was uh, searching for actresses that we still had a strong stigma as to what represented a leading lady. And, um, you know, when I came across um, Odessa, I just felt an immense sense of relief. Where I was like, oh, thank God Jane is there. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we rarely, we seldom see representations of women on screen where they are allowed to explore this thing that I, that I see in life quite often, actually, of strength and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, it's just not mutually exclusive, and I think it's quite extraordinary to see a character like this, and I, I think that was like the center, like the gravity of the film. I tried to call the film Gravity, but it was taken. <laughs> it already exists. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make jokes tonight. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, Odessa, uh, in, in figuring out Jane and kind of getting a handle on her, were there keys to her for you in kind of her inner life and finding a way to kind of anchor yourself to her in some ways? I think one of my favorite lines in the movie is when Donald um, calls her an occupational observer of life because, you know, some some look sometimes it was, you know, I feel that way as an actor not to you know pat myself on the back too much but I do I do feel pretty quietly obs observative occasionally and um, that was a very nice entry point because as Evan and I have been kind of been talking about today this is why we're giggling because we've done press all day we're just we've lost it. Um, but what we were talking about today Sorry. was that like there's actually a lot of the movie where. Um, Jane doesn't speak and so much of it is kind of you know just watching her go from place to place and maybe imagining what she might be thinking so in order to kind of create what she was thinking um, I had both I think my own experience as an occupational observer of life and also you know to bring it back to your previous question I had Graham Swift's novel um, because that is essentially told, I mean, it, it reveals a lot of her inner monologue, um, reveals a lot of her character. Uh, so in terms of kind of, yeah, finding, finding a linchpin for who she is or doing, you know, doing any kind of research, I think ultimately it's like, we all know what loss feels like. That's not hard to research. Um, and then we just kind of have to figure out how to, how to deal with it, and that's what the movie's about. Yeah, well, actually, uh, Odessa has brought up a, a point that I was going to bring up later, but the, the stillness in the film is so, so beautiful. The film is so beautiful in so many ways, but there's such a stillness to it, and it and it echoes in lots of different ways. Obviously, the post-World War I um, you know, milieu and the, and the way these families are feeling and dealing with their loss, but it's almost like there's different kinds of stillness in the film, isn't there? There's obviously the stillness of of Paul and Jane, the stillness of the Nivens, the stillness of the family, but there's a there's a quietude to them. And I'm wondering in kind of capturing those images and making sure that they kind of had different meanings, what was that like for you to kind of be able to kind of have those images of stillness mean so much? I didn't think about that at all. <laughs> so 
sorry. Uh, She's right so here. good, it just happens naturally. I'm just right there. <laughs> um, God, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to go your way. Um, okay, so I think that one of my inspirations was uh, I just tried to think what inspired these people at the time. Uh, and photography was a very new medium. So, um, you know, most of their mental representations was based on paintings. So I think part of the stillness in my imaginary came from the composition of like classical painting. <coughs> and, um, and then I, I think that, you know, like British people at the turn of the century, uh, oh, come on, who am I kidding? Like, I think it's still happening at the moment. Like the, like processing emotions was just not very easy. Um, so I think a lot of it has to do with that. And thank God British actors and Australian actors like <laughs> Odessa, pretty good at that, um, which I think tends to go really well with filmmaking because it's so much about looks and the unspoken. Uh, I think films tend to do really well when you don't get too verbose, you know? Uh, so it's kind of this, you know, um, quiet, perfect storm where the emotions sort of appear on their faces. Um, and I guess, uh, to be very honest with you, I was also very much inspired by uh, some films of the 90s that I was completely obsessed with as a young cinephile, like uh, Chunking Express and In the Mood for Love, mm -hmm. where so much of it is about what's not going to happen and the nostalgia of what could have happened. Uh, and that's very much what the relationship between Jane and Paul is about. And, um, and at the same time, they have the sincerity of knowing it's completely true and sincere. It's, it might not be possible to fully, fully realize it, but I think they go as far as they can. Um, and, um, and I think the quietness and and maybe like the stillness lies in the intimacy. I think you can sit still when you when there is real intimacy. <laughs> the, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned yeah, in the mood for love because that that the feel of that film or even like the garden of the Finzi Contini is like there's a there's aspects of that in this in this film in so many ways so beautiful. Um, Odessa, in working with Josh O'Connor, plays Paul. Uh, I'm wondering if the the two of you, in some ways, and, and maybe all you know, both of you working with Paul, had a had a sense of um, what would have happened, what could have happened had the accident not happened. I almost wonder if, as you guys were were preparing for for scenes together, imagining backstories or imagining, I guess what would be called, you know, moving forward stories, uh, a sense of what would have happened to them had the accident not happened, like what their life could have been like uh, in sort of kind of preparing for the characters. I have my ideas. You have your own ideas? <laughs> but I feel like they're spoilers. I mean, I can share them, but I... Do you want to know? I... I mean, this is, I'm really, I'm a real grump. Like, I don't think that they're actually in love. I think that they love each other very dearly, but I think that they both accept a life that they're never going to be together. I think that what would have happened is that Josh would have gone off, I mean, Paul, sorry, Paul would have gone off <laughs> and, and married Emma, and Jane may have stayed in the house a little bit longer than she ended up staying in the house, but I think ultimately they still would have found their pods. I think that the movie 
kind of doesn't, I mean, I, to me, it doesn't pose a question of like, when is the moment that like all of our decisions are made for us? It's more like, when do we realize, you know, to make these decisions or how to make these decisions? Um, and tragedy is a great catalyst in those, in those realizations. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't think that, I don't think that it would have been a happily ever after story. I think that they're both very distinct people with distinct lives. I, I agree with the fact that they would not have been ever um, like a like a happy ending, but I disagree with you. I think they're in love. Ooh. I'm a romantic. I'm French. Uh, you know, <laughs> she's Australian. She's a pragmatic. <laughs> Got to be real. But um, no, I think I guess maybe we're talking about the same thing. I just for me, I think that it's not because they're not gonna have. A happy ending that they're not in love. I think they just acknowledge they know that it's not going to go anywhere officially ever, but um, the sincerity of their, the depth of their love is like real. It feels like we're making the movie again and having another conversation about it. <laughs> There's a lot of these conversations like, no, but I think that this is, but I think that this is. <laughs> Well, because it, it, what I love is it also kind of comes back to the idea of when she, when she answers the question of when she, when she became a writer, when she was born, you know, when she was given the typewriter, and then the, the third one's the secret. And, and having that secret, no matter what it is, for any artist, like as they have that epiphany of when they became the person they were sort of meant to become, you know, what would it, if something would have been different, what could have changed? And I think that it's an interesting sort of hypothetical to think about, you know, in some ways, yeah. I think she would have found her path no matter what. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I mean, look, I didn't write the damn thing, right. but this is my idea. Right, right, right. <laughs> There's no need for Paul. <laughs> Paul, redundant, whatever. They had some good times. Ava, in, in, you did, in preparing some research, you read the diaries of a lot of, uh, of, of maids and, and... At least 100, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. What was... I mean, when you found things in, in those read diaries... Two diaries. What, what were they... Did you, what did you find there that was sort of illuminating for you in a lot of ways? Um, you know what? <clears throat> I have to say I was pretty... Um, I was pretty astounded at the, um, the harshness of the life of the time, which I was aware of because like uh, I've got a very academic background in classical studies, but I guess I hadn't gone back to that in a long time. And the level of uncertainty and stability, financial instability when you were a woman at the turn of the century is just mind blowing. <clears throat> Basically, you know, you could, your life could, could turn to absolute horror in half a second so I think it just made people were more pragmatic you know romanticism is kind of cute and nice when you've got the means um, but when you don't have it it just becomes a question of survival um, people at that time did not have retirement didn't have pensions um, people would just work until they died uh, and the 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 human relationships were much harsher than what they are now, uh, especially in Victorian England, um, when kindness was not necessarily the first value. So therefore, the kindness of the Nivens is even more extraordinary. The uh, kindness of Paul and his ability to just extract himself from the tropes of his social class and 
the uh, the tendencies that young men of that society had. Um, I think it just made me fall even more in love with the characters and just to realize even more how extraordinary they were. Because I do think that, you know, societies are really harsh uh, at all times, but I, I think it's it's quite a privilege to tell the stories of people who are just slightly different and the people who allow the people to just become better version, versions of, the, of themselves. And I think Jane has that luck. She should... She just finds people who just happen to be good people. Um, and, you know, the movie is like a very small section of her life. And I'm sure she's, she's got a lot of issues with other encounters. But at least, you know, what we're studying is a study of human kindness. And, you know, of course, there are limitations due to um, culture generation, etc. But people do the best they can with what they have. And I think it's sort of it's sort of humbling because I think when we think about it, we all go through this, you know, we all think that we're going to be the best generation and you know, we can break the boundaries. And you know, once you turn 40, you're like, ah, okay, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a good segue to Odessa talking to you about the the you know the sections where Jane is is fifteen or twenty years older than she is in nineteen twenty four. She's with her husband and the and kind of what anchors her in some ways. How did you sort of uh, find ways into that aspect of the of the character and kind of find something to to root to that? I keep forgetting that I kind of started doing the movie without realizing that I was going to have to play that version of Jane and feeling very shocked when I had to go get my face cast done to get all the prosthetics made, which by the way, a big entry point into playing um, older Jane for me was the prosthetics and the incredible hair and makeup design by Nadia Stacy. I think that like looking at yourself in the mirror and understanding that there's a completely different person there is a pretty phenomenal occurrence. Um, so that helped, that was one thing. And then you know, I think that the way that Alice Birch wrote the, the Jane throughout her life was extremely deliberate. And the way that Jane uses language later on in her life is, is much more confident. You can sense that she has self-actualized. You can sense that she owns herself now. Um, and when you get that dialogue, the the physicality, the voice, that all kind of falls into place behind it. Because in order to hold up these words, you need to give, you know, do, you need to do something. And you know, a lot of Jane in her younger years is is extremely non-judgmental, uh, which is an entirely different physicality as well. Um, and then as she grows older and she starts, you know, having her own opinions and realizing actually what 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 her life means and what her purpose is, then she she I think she just kind of gains this solid ground. Um, and so that was, you know, that was another entry point. And then the other thing is that I remember having lots of conversations with Eva at the time about not wanting to make it a caricature because I think it could seem a little ridiculous that I was, what, 22 at the time, a 22 year old is playing a 46 year old, which it is, but I think we did okay. <laughs> um, 
And I, I think that you had a lot of confidence in me, which gave me confidence in myself. And I think it was you saying, don't worry, we believe you, that made me kind of just, you know, give into it and, and just try, try, try and do it. Yeah, fake it until you make it. So, so important to fake it. (laughs) Rule for the ages. uh, Well, what I also love is that in addition to seeing Jane's strength and her and her growth, you also sort of there's a line in the in the novella about uh, that she never could quite shake the the inner curtsy that was sort of that was, that was always even as a as a middle aged woman that that was ingrained in her. And I feel like you see that in the performance in just little bits and bits and ways. Yeah. But also, you know, like <clears throat> that's also um, a credit to Odessa's um, own personality because I think some twenty year olds could never play a forty year old, but mm-hmm. she's got this way of being centered mm-hmm. that's just very mature uh yeah. she's got this old soul quality to her yeah. and uh and you know, she like played on a couple of very simple elements like um she's brought up as a maid when she's an orphan yeah. and so she's brought up to not look people at uh, look at people in the eyes yeah. when she's in her 20s mm-hmm. uh which indicates a relationship of subordination and you know, when she's in her 40s, she's more assertive. You know, she's just grown into herself. And these subtle shifts, yeah. you don't really notice them, but you just perceive them. Yeah. And uh, that that just facilitates a lot of the, of the physicality of it. Yeah. Yeah, even when she is given the typewriter and kind of doesn't quite look up to say thank you, it's sort of she's kind of looking at the typewriter. Yeah, no, it's a, a beautiful a beautiful aspect of the character. Um, let's, it's also so, so wonderfully... Um, elliptical how we get little glimpses of older Jane throughout and I just want to talk to you about uh, working with your amazing collaborators the editor uh, Emily Orsini your DP Jamie Ramsey even even Morgan Kibbe who did who is the composer and working with them on kind of the the hints of the of the life to come uh, which I think is beautiful were some what were some of the conversations like with all those collaborators to make it happen well I want to give credit to Emmy Orsini, my editor, and Morgan Kinney, my Morgan Kibi, my composer, and who happens also to be my best friend. Um, I've worked with them for you know 15, 20 years now, and um, I think it's allowed us to get deeper and deeper from film to film, and also allow each other a lot of space to fail, which I think is very important in in creativity. Uh, because it's just not a straight line. And, um, you know, the editing process took two months over what we had planned because the movie was so complex narratively in terms of narrative strategies uh, that we just had to figure it out. And Emily and I, you know, we just spent hours talking, like looking at the board, just trying to figure out the the right order, watch the movie again and again and again because every time you moved like one little scene, even if it was 20 seconds, you had to watch the whole film to get a feeling of what, how it charged you emotionally before and after. Um, and Morgan Kibi, you know, we, we had very early conversations, we had early tracks, but then the, com- the, the structure of the film kept on changing so much that at some point I called her. It was like, because she lives in LA and I live in Paris. It's like, I'm so sorry, darling, but um, stop working. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to need to figure this out. We use temp music. I was miserable because temp music is never quite right. And, you know, we figured out 
the structure and then when that was done she only had three weeks left to figure out the whole score uh, so that means that she pulled 14 16 hour days which when you create something is insane and um you know i would have to pick her up in pieces every day just like you can do it we're gonna get there because i knew it was so important to have the music as a it just it holds the film together it's like a character you know it's sort of it comes in waves and it's like this retournelle and it just accompanies uh jane's grief and um, you know, it's classical and neoclassical and postmodern, like the, the actual writing. It's, it's just so much a part of the film that uh, it would have been unthinkable for me to do it with anyone else. And both Emily, actually, and Morgan are very much, you know, co-creators of, of the narrative. And I just owe them so much. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a testament to the power of long-term collaborations, I feel. It resulted in such a moving and artful and meaningful film. It's so beautiful. Congratulations to both of you. The film opens on March 25th. Congratulations again, ladies and gentlemen, Ava Hussan and Odessa Young. The film, of course, is Thank Mothering you. Sunday. Thank you. And I just want to say something. It's the third time I present a film here, and this room and you guys are very, very special to me because, you know, in a career of filmmaker, when you have this kind of continuity, it just is extremely meaningful. So thank you so much for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs>